although I love to be able to sing songs about the risen Christ, I love to be able to responsively read the Bible with you. It's now my great privilege to be actually able to open the word as we see and remember a risen Christ. And that's what we're going to be doing today. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, and you can find one of those black ESD pew Bibles around you, uh, go ahead and open it up to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, we're going to be in chapter 13, and we're going to pick it up in verse 26 this morning. If you're using one of those ESV Pew Bibles, it's going to be on page 922. Now, in case uh, you don't have a Bible or you don't have an ESV, which is just that English translation that we use here, it's a good translation, uh, you can take that home. That's our gift to you. Right? We, we want you to have the Bible. Now, if you have like 10 of our gifts at your house, bring, bring some of those back. Okay? Or give them out. Okay? But don't hoard them. I'm a Bible hoarder. It's bad. Okay? Now, but as you are turning there, uh, when it comes to the preaching of the word, we typically, our, our normal diet, so to speak, as a church is simply to walk through books of the Bible, to walk through books just line by line, verse by verse, so we can just have a, a healthy understanding of what does the Bible teach. And we do that uh, quite a bit here at this church, but there are times where we, we take moments, we do sermon series, where instead of maybe going through verse by verse, uh, we look at a particular theme in the Bible, and we try to connect the dots. What does the Bible have to say about this? And over the last uh, few sermons, uh, we have been looking at the motif or the theme of the kingdom of God. What does the Bible have to say about a kingdom? What does the Bible have to say about kingship? Because one of the things that we have been learning, church, is that the Bible's grand narrative, or meta-narrative, if you will, the grand story of the Bible is one of kingdom. Is one of kingdom. And where God, from the very beginning, he actually promised that he was going to establish a kingdom that will last forever. And if you have a kingdom that will last forever, you also need a king. And so we've been looking at who is this king, right? How would we recognize him as the king that was promised? Well, to no surprise, I think, to many of us, that king is Jesus Christ, where we clearly see that in Scripture, and there's no doubt about it. But then this last Friday, we looked about how this king, who was this, this rightful heir to the throne of God, what did the king do? He sacrificed himself. He went to a Roman cross to die a sinner's death. Because the victory that was promised that would come through a king, we also knew that suffering would have to take place. And so at the cross of Calvary, we saw that a suffering king laid down his life poured out his soul, and in doing so, fulfilled the ancient promise that was given to God's people. And that promise was that one day God was going to send someone to crush the head of Satan that Justin just talked about, right? That covenant of redemption. But in order to crush the head of Satan, 
his heel would be bruised, meaning that suffering would have to take place. And that suffering happened at the cross. So the cross is absolutely essential, church. In case you're new to Christianity, maybe just new to church in general, the cross is absolutely central to your understanding of self and your understanding of God. It is absolutely essential to the story of God. But it's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story of God. Because simply put, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus Christ actually provides that there's good news. Because without it, there would not be good news. There would be no Christianity. There would actually have been no reason for us to get up this morning and come into a building like this. If the resurrection didn't happen. The Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, says elsewhere that if Christ did not rise from the grave, our faith would be in vain. We would have no reason to be here this morning, church. But then why are we here? Because he is risen, right? He has risen. He is currently ruling and reigning on his throne. Now, for our time today, I'm not going to walk through that historical narrative, right, where the early disciples found the empty tomb of Jesus. But I would encourage you, if you've never read those accounts in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I encourage you to go and read those. The resurrection is an historical account. But what I want to do today is show you how the resurrection ended up becoming the linchpin of all of Christian preaching. It became the linchpin of the good news that was exalted for all of the world to hear. It became the rallying call of every Christian that the king is alive. He is alive and that God reigns. Now, before we look at that passage in Acts 13, I want to I wanna pray one more time. I want to pray for you, and I ask that as I do that, will you pray for me? And then we'll jump into the text together. Well, Lord, what an what a opportunity we get just to look at your word, to, to see, does it, does it matter? If this is true, does it matter? God, I think, it, I think it does. And so we want, to, we want to rightly just preach your word. I want to rightly preach your word. And I've got to pray that everybody in this building today would have ears to hear it. God, that you would take it not just as literature that was written to attest to a risen historical Christ, but that you would take it deep into the hearts and souls of every man, woman, and child that finds themselves here today under your sovereign will. And so God, we also want to pray for our kiddos next door as, as those teachers are discipling them, showing them this, the same reality of a risen Jesus and why that makes all the difference in the world. So God, we need you. And it's in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, Acts 13, starting in verse 26. It should be up on the screen as well. It reads, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. 
And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that was that what God promised to the fathers. Church, that's the word of the Lord for us this morning. Now, a little bit of context to what we just read. What we are reading in the book of Acts is basically the story of how did the church begin. It's called the book of Acts because it's the Acts of the Apostles. So once, basically, Jesus said, go and tell everybody that I'm alive, that I have risen. After resurrection, these apostles went out and they started preaching that good news. They started preaching about a king that laid down his life, but yet a king that was risen three days later. And what we're reading, particularly in, in chapter 13, is a man named Paul. And he's preaching in the city of Antioch. And I believe that we're actually reading some of the greatest evidence that the resurrection is actually true. Because if you're not aware, the Apostle Paul never would have foreseen himself doing this. In fact, it wasn't that long before he was here preaching about Jesus that he was actually killing Christians. He was a Christian terrorist. But yet, the reason why he started preaching the good news, the reason why he started preaching the gospel is why? Because he had a change of moral philosophy? No. It's because he had encountered the risen Jesus. He had encountered the risen king, and therefore he could not shut up in talking about him. And by the way, Paul, who would later be killed because of this message, killed being a preacher of Jesus, not because he was preaching a set of moral principles, but because he was preaching a resurrected Christ. And that's the same for every single apostle. The reason why the apostles were killed, the reason why even they laid down their lives was not because Jesus went to the cross. In fact, after the cross, the disciples were nowhere to be found. They were in hiding. They weren't standing up and proclaiming anything about Jesus. But what changed? They too had encountered the risen Christ. And they could not stop talking about what they had seen and what they had heard concerning him, church. Because if the tomb is empty, anything is possible. And they wanted to tell everyone that. I like it how a, a pretty smart guy, a, a former Yale professor named Jaroslav Pelikan, he used to say this. He used to say, if Christ is risen, nothing else matters. And if Christ is not, nothing else matters. You see, the risen Christ becomes the linchpin of all of Christian faith, but then it really becomes the linchpin of everything. Because if he is risen, it changes everything about who we are. That if someone who was killed was raised from the grave, that changes who we are. And so Paul, in preaching to the city of Antioch, he's talking to, to both religious men, right, religious background, 
and also those who are probably just seeking truth, right? They're just, they're hearing about this risen Christ, and so they're coming to try to understand what's all the fuss about? Who is this guy? And Paul says that you need to know something about this. And he says this in verse 30, if you have your Bibles open. You need to know that he did not just stay in the grave. He did not just get taken down from the cross and laid in the tomb. But in verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. And Paul highlights, and he's highlighting that because of who he's talking to. When it says that they were, right, they were the sons of Abraham, meaning that they had a religious background. They were Jewish, right? They had probably grown up hearing about all these prophecies concerning a king, a king who is going to reign. But Paul says, but you've missed it. You've missed it. You've, you've spent all your life maybe going to religious things, but yet somehow you missed the most important part of it. And that was the Savior in which the Bible is actually trying to get you to see. We don't study this. We don't read this. We don't pray because we don't have anything better to do. We do it because it speaks to a king and one who is still alive and reigning now. And I think there's great warning in that, meaning that you can, you can go to church, right? You can be involved in maybe a lot of Bible studies, and you can miss the point. You can miss the point of it all, and that's Jesus. And so I'm encouraging us all this morning, let's not miss the point of, of Resurrection Sunday, right? Let's not just check the box. We went to church, even though it's a good thing. Let's not miss the central point of why we're all here, and that's the risen king. Because the risen king speaks to what? It speaks to good news. Look at verse 32. When Paul says, and we bring you the good news. That what, that what God promised to the fathers, right? It's the language of the Old Testament. Now, what's that, what's that good news, right? What's that promise? Well, we've said it repeatedly over and we're not going to stop. The promise is that God was going to send someone. Since the very beginning, he was going to send someone to deal with the consequences of sin, the consequences of rebellion. Because what are those consequences? The Bible says that the wage of sin is death. It's death. That when we sinned against God, ultimately we deserve to die because of it. The Bible doesn't beat around the bush, says that it doesn't really matter. It, it, maybe it's not that, that big a deal. Maybe if you compare that to something else, it, it seems pretty light. But it says that every single one of us, no one is righteous, no, not one. So we were all in this desperate need of someone to be righteous. Because with the sin that we participated in came the unraveling and the fracturing of this world. That everything that we know is broken. And I don't think that it would be hard for you in your seat today to, to come up with examples of that. You could look in your own life, your own family's life. You could look at your, our community, right? We could look at our nation. We could look at our world and clearly see that it's not right. That there's brokenness. 
And we know that not just for other people, but we know that for ourselves. Right? We know that because how often do we do the very things that we said that we would never do? Or how often do we not do the things that we said that we would do? And why is that? It's because we sin. Because we're sinners. We've all fallen in the footsteps of Adam and Eve. But God, church. But the promise of God. And as we looked at on Friday, the cross of Jesus Christ was God coming to do something about sin. He was coming to start to undo the curse of sin. And by doing, in order to undo the curse of sin, he was taking it head on. He went to the very thing that it cost, what costs sin the most, and that's death. And so he went to die a sinner's death. He went to crush the head of Satan. He went to undo the power to condemn sinners. He went to pay the penalty for those who would believe in him. Because when Jesus was on the cross, he was actually becoming sin. He actually became the sin in which you and I had participated in. But yet at that cross, we're also told that we were given a righteousness. We were given a perfect life. Not that we earned, but that was earned on our behalf. And so if you recall, what did then Jesus yell out with his final breath on the cross? It is finished. But how do we know that? Right? How do we know that he was the last and final sacrifice? How do we know that the wrath of God was satisfied? How do we know that we're not still in our sins? The resurrection, church. The resurrection is the one that proves all of this. And that's why Paul says this over and over again, that God raised him from the dead. Theologians refer to this as the vindication of Jesus Christ where we know that everything that Jesus set out to accomplish on the cross, he accomplished. That Jesus was the propitiation for our sins. It's a fancy way of saying he was a payment that fully satisfied the due demands for sin. And, but the reason, church, but the reason, hear me on this, the reason why death could not hold Jesus, the reason why the pains of death could not last against him was because they had no claim on him. Death had no claim on Jesus because Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. Death had no right to keep him. And so our scripture says that God the Father raised Jesus Christ from the grave through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul would say then that if Christ had not risen, we would still be in our sins. But he has risen. He has risen, Christian. But friends, that also means that if you, this morning, you're not quite sure where you're at. You would say that, you know what, I've never actually trusted in Christ. I've never actually believed that he is who he said he is. I need to tell you that that means that you actually still are in your sins. It means that those sins have not been paid for. They have not been atoned for. And so I'm pleading with you. Turn to the risen Christ who went to the cross on your behalf. And I know you may think that you're a pretty good person. And you, and you probably are compared to others. But that's not the goal. That's not what, the, what, what this book actually is intended to teaching us. 
It's trying to get us to understand that it's not just trying to be good enough, but it's about being perfect. And I don't think any one of us in this room would say, you know what, I got that nail. We would go, no. I'm flawed. I got a history. I got a future that's probably marred in certain ways. So how do we be perfect? It's that perfect life that was then given to us, church. The great exchange, our sin for his life. It's that when you looked at Jesus on the cross, when right when you think about him, you go, that counted for me. What he did there counted for me. I needed that. So the risen Christ shows us that the good news is that Jesus is the seed that was promised. He is the seed of Eve. He is the snake crusher, the savior that was promised all those years ago. Now that's really good news. But there's more. There's actually a whole lot more. And it comes to this idea of a risen king. And let me show you this. You don't have to turn there, but there should be a slide for Isaiah 52, 7. Maybe not. Let me read it to you. Where it says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, this is important, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So what the prophet Isaiah is saying is that there is coming this, this proclamation of good news, and it's not just going to be good news that someone went to die in your place, but it's also good news of your God reigns. Your God is alive. Your God is reigning now. So the good news is not just that salvation has been earned. It's not just good news that we as sinners have been reconciled back to a holy God. But there's the good news that the king is alive. That God reigns. And if God reigns, it means that the kingdom is still here. It has not gone anywhere. In fact, it means that the kingdom can never be thwarted. Because the only rival to the kingdom of God was this domain of darkness, the Bible says. But when Jesus went to the cross, he won the decisive victory over the domain of darkness. Because what's the only true and accurate claim that a kingdom of darkness has? It's that you are a sinner and you deserve the penalty for that. But the cross of Christ says, I know. And he paid for it. He paid for it. And we know that he paid for it because he is alive. The sacrifice went through. God's wrath was fully satisfied in him. But there's even more good news that Jesus is alive, that the king is alive. Because I know for many in this room, I know for many in this room, you have been walking with Christ for a lot longer than I've even been alive. And it's been a long and weary road, but you would never trade it for a second. Because you have experienced the faithfulness of Christ over all of those years. But can I encourage you something about, about the risen Christ? 
I know that you know that your sins have been paid for. I know that you are deeply appreciative of Christ for that fact. But I have conversations over and over again. To, but yet, I'm so sick and tired of sin. I'm so sick and tired of living in a world that has cancer. I'm so sick and tired of a world that has addiction. I'm so sick and tired of a world that has abuse. Well, when Jesus rose from the grave, he was also announcing a coming victory over that too. So let me encourage you that with the defeat of death on the cross also showed us that there's new life to come. There's a new creation that has been stamped upon this world. And Jesus was the first fruits of it. Let me show you this. Hopefully I have this one slide, Mike. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 20. Let me show you this. This is Paul talking to this church actually about the risen Christ and why it matters. And he says this, but in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So what Paul is trying to say is that the Christ's resurrection is basically the first fruits, the first evidence of what we will all see. He's the first fruits of those who belong to Christ. Saying that what what we see in Christ today will one day be true of every single one of us for those who are in Christ. That you will be raised. That you will have a glorified body. That the pains of this world will be no more. And Paul even says on that day, every rule, every authority, every power will be destroyed. Everything that has turned its back on God will be dealt with according to its deeds. And perfect justice will roll, church. But notice, looking back at 1 Corinthians 15, 25, that this rule is not just future. We're not just waiting for it. In fact, it says it's current right now. He is ruling. He is reigning right now. And let me read a few of Reasons why that means you should take heart now, Christian. Because you can take heart now knowing that the pain of this world fails to compare to the glory that is to come. You can take heart now knowing that Jesus has been faithful to the plan of God. And he's not stopping anytime soon. He will never stop until it's finished. You can take heart now knowing that whatever you're going through, one, is that God knows there's nothing outside of his control. He knows it all, and he deeply cares. It's why he's given us the promise that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Because although this world is a mess, we have good news to preach. Right? We have a gospel to exalt 
we have to actually do the very thing which Paul is doing here in the book of Acts. And that is telling each other, telling anybody who, was, who would listen, that God has raised Jesus from the grave, that he is alive. Because that good news, church, it changes us. Right? It's changed you. It's changed me. Right? At 19 years old, for much of my life, I had no idea, no idea that I was a participant in the domain of darkness. No idea that my sin was not just mistakes that I've made, but treason against a holy and righteous God. And that even though I maybe didn't know Christ, I didn't, or maybe I would say I know of him, but I didn't believe in him. But Jesus, one day, according to his own mercy and according to his own wisdom, chose to reveal who he is to me through the preaching of his word, right? Through the exaltation of the gospel. And when God revealed himself to me, church, I was moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom I have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And I can't stop talking about that. I won't stop talking about that. It's the best news that we can behold this morning. So church, take heart that this good news is still going forward. This good news is still changing people. This good news will not be stopped. It's not being threatened. You can't threaten something that's already been done. It's finished, church. It's our job just to tell people. And I pray that this good news of the gospel, right, this understanding of who Christ is and what he has done, this understanding that the king is alive, that would be a mark of every single one of us this morning. It would be a mark of every single one of us this morning and maybe resulting in for some of us that we're stop, we're going to stop playing games with our life. We're going to stop playing maybe religious games. And we would actually come and behold a risen king. So what do we do? Right? What do we do? Well, we celebrate. We celebrate. We walk out of these doors today rejoicing. Right? Celebrating that the king is alive. That the good news that God reigns is true. And to be an Easter people. What, is, what does it mean to be an Easter people? It means that you're happy today. Right? It means that you're, you're celebrating today. We're going to have cake later on because we're so happy. And not like happy circumstantially. You know that, right? Not, not happy in the sense that everything is going right in this world. Not happy in the sense that, that we don't have any concerns going on. But happy in the sense that we have a joy that's rooted in something that cannot be taken from us. And it's a joy that's rooted in a risen king. That's why we're going to eat cake today. All right? And we're going to do so as sons or daughters of the Most High King with new identities. Some, that new identity was realized long ago. Maybe for some of us, that new identity can be realized today. Because when Jesus walked away from the tomb, he proclaimed, it really is finished. So church, let's pray, and then we'll celebrate.
Well, Father, once again, we want to just come before you. Because you're the only person worthy to come in before this morning. You're the only person that we can come to with all these requests, all of these thoughts, all of these desires that we have because you are a risen king, because you are not in a grave right now. So God, I pray for every single one of us in this room that for some that you would maybe reveal yourself, maybe for the first time, that you would connect the dots that outside of you, Lord, that we are still in those sins. We are still condemned. We are still guilty. But it doesn't have to stay that way. Because you have gone to the cross, God, I pray that you would give us just a gift of repentance and faith. That we would be able to turn from those sins. That we'd be able to turn towards you. And for all of us who are Christians, that we would once again be able to look and behold you. Not just as one who died on the cross, but one who is on the throne. God, help us celebrate today. And it's in your mighty name we pray.